Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. You know, when you think of this weekend and all that it represents, you know, we've singing this song, Thank You, Jesus. We have have it on the card where we're going to write out things that we're thankful for. But when you, when you think about it, th- those two words, thank you, they're very simple words, but they're very important words. They, they demonstrate and show gratitude and they show appreciation when someone does something for you. It shows a recognition that, that's, and an awareness that someone has demonstrated some type of kindness toward us that, that many times, if we're honest, uh, is completely undeserved or you know, sometimes we get those unexpected uh, surprises. Anybody who loves to kind of be surprised, you ever receive something that somebody came and blessed you with something and, and it was kind of unexpected? You know, it's kind of like when the husbands buy the flowers or, or the jewelry and stuff for no reason. It's not an anniversary. It, it's not, uh, you know, uh, uh, their, their um, uh, Valentine's Day or anything like that. It's just a I love you gift for no reason. Come on. How many you know the wives, they, they enjoy that. They, they love that. Men, if you haven't done that in a while, it might be a good time to, to do something like that, to come with an unexpected gift of love just as a thank you. But to, those two words also kind of separate somebody from who really understands what they've been given from a person who is rude or just entitled and thinks that they were owed something. You know, in Luke chapter 17, there's a story of 10 lepers. And these 10 lepers all encountered Jesus. They were standing outside of the community because they weren't allowed to be around the community because they had to isolate because of their, their disease. They weren't allowed to be with their families. They, they had to basically be kind of in a leper colony. And these 10 lepers were all together. And they heard that Jesus was coming through. And so they began to try to get Jesus' attention. And Jesus stopped. And he talks to them. And these 10 lepers, uh, he tells them, he said, go and, and show yourself to the priest. Because it was the custom that if anyone had leprosy, that, that when, if they were clean, then they would have to go and the priest would have to inspect with the skin and, and all of that to see and confirm that they were clean. And then they were able to go back with their family. They were able to go back and, and be a part of the church and civilization and all of those things again. And these 10 weren't healed in the moment that Jesus spoke the word. They had to put a little bit of feet to their faith. They had to begin to walk down the road. And it says, as they were going to show themselves to the priest, they began to realize that God had completely and totally healed them. And the leprosy was gone. All ten of the lepers were completely healed. But only one of those lepers took the time to go back to Jesus and say those two little words of thank you. Now when you think about this, the the others had received the same healing. But for some reason they either took it for granted. Or maybe they just were so excited that they got their life back. That they just got busy in life again. And they had every intention of going back and finding Jesus and thanking him. But yet, for whatever reason, they didn't do it. 
Their lives were completely and forever changed. Because they had been unable to be around their families. They had been unable to experience somebody's hug or touch or handshake or high five or anything. There was no human contact in between them. No demonstration of love that they had been able to receive. They were unable to go into the temple and worship God. This The leprosy had completely hindered and altered their life. But in one moment with one encounter with Jesus, every bit of that completely changed. Jesus took the time to speak just a few words over these lepers. And everything that had been lost in their life because of the leprosy was fully restored because they encountered someone who was greater than the sickness that their body had. Their lives were completely restored. Their their relationships were completely restored. The ability to be able to go into God's house and experience his presence and worship God All completely restored in one moment, but yet nine out of the ten did not take the time to simply say thank you. Can you imagine if somebody rescued your life and saved your life and gave your life back to you and you just walked away as if nothing had happened? Without even saying thank you, that's essentially what Jesus did. Their life was completely changed and restored, and nine of the ten didn't even recognize it. But if you flash all the way back to the Garden of Eden, there's another thing that's greater than leprosy. There's a greater sin and a greater uh, plague and thing that, that, was, that was greater than leprosy that was introduced, and it was introduced when Adam and Eve sinned. And because of their sin, they had to leave the garden, which they had been able to dwell in. It was utter and complete perfection. Everything that they needed was right there. They didn't have to work. They didn't have to toil. They they didn't have, it it, it was just everything was there. They could walk with God in the middle of the evening, and and they had closeness with God and and all of that. There was just complete unbroken fellowship. There was no sickness. There was no pain. There was no disease. There was was no, no death, nothing. None of those things existed. It was a perfect environment. And yet because of sin, now they can't experience the presence of God. Now they have to work hard in order to have food. Now they don't have everything kind of provided for them. They're on their own. There's pain that's brought into their life. And and the bad thing about the sin that Adam and Eve had in their life is just like leprosy, it was contagious. And anybody that came in contact with them would contaminate the, the sin. Every child that they would have would be born with this plague of sin into their life. They'd be contaminated with that sin. Because it was passed down from generation to generation. And so because of this, Adam and Eve, who had known the perfection and the goodness of God, now their children would never know that because all they would know is hard work and toil and, and, and sin and, and sickness. And the world just kept, gradually kept getting worse and, and all of these things until the point of when Jesus showed up on the scene. When God said, I have watched my people go 
far away from I've watched them be destroyed by sin. I've watched them hurt. I've watched them experience pain. And he was so moved that they that he sent his son to come down on the cross and or come down and, and to live a life and, and eventually take up the cross. And he even named his son. He didn't even change, like try to hide what his plan for Jesus was. The very name of Jesus is Yeshua, which means salvation. He brings salvation to the earth. But here's the thing. Jesus wasn't able to be born through any earthly man. Because if he had, because he was a descendant of Adam, the sin that was passed down from generation to generation, if Jesus had been born by a man, he would have been contaminated with the sin that would have been in the earth. So God didn't allow that fact to change his plan of wanting to come God just completely performs a miracle. And this little girl that had found, a teenage girl who had found favor with God, God sends the Spirit of God to him, and he puts, puts the, uh, put to her and puts a baby, puts his son in her womb. And for the first time, you had Adam, who wasn't born from somebody. He was completely created from God. And then now you have what a lot of times they refer to as the second Adam, Jesus being the second Adam, because he was completely created by God in the womb without the seed of man being introduced into it. Because he had to be pure from sin. Because in order to pay the price for sin, it had to be a spotless lamb. And so Jesus had to live a perfect life. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. And he was born of a woman under the law to redeem those from under the law. That word redeem and redemption to meant that somebody had to pay a price for something. If you were redeeming somebody's land, there was a price that had to be paid so that things could be restored back to the people in, in the way that it was. And But it goes on and it says, not only did he rede- come to redeem us, but he came to receive us as sons. So many times in the Christian faith, we don't walk like we're sons and daughters of God. We walk like we're just lowly servants even we've been told in church oh you're just a sinner saved by grace and and all of that and yes we are sinners saved by grace but we were saved not to be servants we were saved to be sons he goes on and said because you were sons God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying out Abba father and so you are no longer a slave but you are a son You are no longer a servant that doesn't have a choice in the matter. You are a son. And if you are a son, he didn't even just establish us as a son. He said, not only are you a son, but you are also an heir through God. In Romans, he uses the phraseology, the terminology that we are joint heirs with Christ, which means the same access that Jesus had to the Father, you and I have because we have the same inheritance that Jesus did. But how many of us live our life that way? So many of us allow the enemy to convince us that God is a mean, angry father. He's a judgmental God. He's he's harsh. He's hard. And and all of those things to try to drive a wedge in between us. Let Let me let you in on a little bit of the devil's plan. Okay? So I know this might spook some people out, but there are demons and a demon's role is this 
Before you were saved, a demon's role was to prevent you from being saved. So he's going to lie to you and tell you you can't be saved. He's going to lie to you and tell you that, uh, that you're not worthy, that you have to clean yourself up first, that you have to, you know, you don't want to be saved. It's too much fun in the world. Like he's, it's, it's all these things to try to convince you not to give your heart to God. But then after you've given your heart to God and you've received salvation in your life, then the demons shift gear because now they don't want you to accomplish the purpose and they don't want you to understand the fullness of what Jesus went to the cross to die for for you. It wants you to stay under the bondage of law and legalism and, 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 and religion versus being able to step into the relationship that Christ paid for. But when you look at what Hebrews says about it, it's, it's, it doesn't show, show a picture of an angry God that, that is wanting to just come in and punish. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one that in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he did it without sin. He came down and his humanity for the pride of life, the, the, uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, all of those things which the Bible says are the three areas that sin draws you in. He was tempted in every single area so that now he is sitting at the Father. And he's not sitting by the Father looking down on you to judge you and condemn you. He's sympathizing with you because he understands what it means to face that temptation. He understands what it means to go through that heartache. He understands what it means to suffer for that loss but yet he did it without sin everywhere that you look Jesus was living a selfless life if he saw somebody who was sick he brought healing if he saw someone that was demon possessed he demonstrated his power to cast out the demons everywhere that he went he demonstrated his love toward the unlovable Have any of you experienced the love of God in a moment when you were completely unlovable See, the enemy wants you to think, well, once you get to a certain position, once you clean yourself up good enough and everything, then you can go to God. But don't go to God before then because you don't want to be a hypocrite. You don't want to mess up. You don't want to do all that stuff. But look at what Romans 5 says. It says, for when we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for godly people. He died for the ungodly. And can I tell you something? There's no godly person without first encountering the blood of Jesus because it's the only thing that makes us godly. He goes on, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, not when we stopped sinning, he loved us. While we were still sinners, he loved us. And Christ died for us. And since therefore now we have been justified by his blood, much more we have been saved from the wrath of God because of the blood of Jesus. You don't have to experience the wrath of God and the anger of God that the enemy tries to paint him as being. In fact, we're going to see that he took out all of his anger and he took out all of his wrath on his son so that you don't have to experience that. Verse 10 says, For if while we were sinners... Or while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we have been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we rejoice, through, uh, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that through uh, whom we have now received reconciliation. In other words, that division that had been in between man and God has fully been reconciled now. That gap that was caused by the sin of Adam and Eve that meant that now Adam and Eve had to go outside of the presence of God, all of that was fully reconciled because of Jesus. Because God put our sin upon him. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement or the punishment for our sin. The chastisement that was upon him is what brought us peace. And by his wounds we were healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. And we have all turned every one to his own way. <laughs> every one to his own way. Every, that, all of us need a savior. I know your mama might think you're perfect. And the sun rises and sets on you and all that stuff. But you ain't. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you ain't perfect. Turn to the neighbor you chose to ignore and say, you need a whole lot of Jesus. <laughs> but look, he made it so easy. Like it wasn't this big complex thing of all these hoops you had to jump through or anything. He simply said, if you'll call out to me, Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now there's some important words in this. The first thing is this. At the very beginning of that, it says everyone. Say everyone. You guys know what that word means? Everyone. All. See, the enemy paints a lot of picture that some of you are too far gone. You've done too much. God couldn't love you. He wouldn't save you. What's that screen say? Everyone. Some of you grew up in a religion and stuff that told there's only certain people that are able to be saved and everything. But here it says everyone. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone will be saved because there's a qualification. Everyone who calls on my name. The other important word there is it doesn't say might be saved. It says they will be saved. And when we're saved, it opens up the door for us to approach the throne. Hebrews 4, if you go back to that, verse 16 says, so let us now. Because we understand we have a high priest that sympathizes with us. Because we understand that we have freedom and, and we, that we can, save when we're, we can be saved when we call out. Let us now draw near to the throne of grace. Does that say the throne of judgment? Does that say the throne of anger or wrath or condemnation or in it? The throne of grace. And then he even says, when you come to the throne of grace, you can receive mercy. Come on, how many need the mercy of God? In case you didn't raise your hand, you should have raised your hand on that because you need the mercy of God. Remember that part where I said none of us are perfect? We all need the mercy of God. It says we can receive the mercy and the grace in our time of need. There's times throughout our life that we're going to meet mercy and God. Even after you're saved, you're going to make mistakes. Do we have anybody who'd be honest and say that since you've been saved, you've sinned and made a mistake? Well, guess what? We have an advocate with the Father 
in Christ Jesus that if we would confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Doesn't mean we have to be resaved. <laughs> we just have to confess the sin and say, God, I recognize this sin in my life and I need the blood of Jesus applied to it. And it's washed away. And because of this, full restoration can be made where we can be in the presence of God again simply by putting our faith in him. Romans 10, 9 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that he raised from the dead. And that's the important thing. This Easter weekend, do you believe that Jesus raised from the dead? Or do you think that this is just some storybook uh, story that has just been passed down and all that stuff? Because that's an important thing. Because it is a qualification. You confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe that what we are celebrating today on Easter, on Resurrection Sunday, actually took place. That Jesus was crucified, he died, he was in a grave. But three days later, the Spirit of God hit him and raised him up from the dead. And that that tomb was empty. It says, for the one who believes is justified, and the one who confesses with his mouth is saved. For everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. If you are under the weight of shame, it is not because God put it on you. Because this says that if we put our faith in him, we're not going to be ashamed. We're not going to walk around with shame in our life. Paul said in Romans 8 that there, there, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so all of us owe Jesus a huge thank you that he didn't make salvation and freedom and healing and deliverance so hard that no man could obtain it. But all he said is, just call upon me. Just confess me as Lord and believe that I raised Christ from the dead and you would be saved. But here's the best part. He didn't just stop at healing for our sin. Isaiah 53, if you go back to that, it says that surely he bore our griefs and he bore our sorrows. And, and yet he was esteemed and he was stricken. He was smitten by God and he was afflicted. In other words, God also, when Jesus went to the cross, he took all the grief that we would suffer in our life to the cross with him. Why did he do that? Because he knew that we would need to be healed from grief that was in our life. There are some people that because of a lost loved one or things, grief just overwhelms them and it seems the point of, of hopeless and, and they can't get out. But the same way that you put faith in what Jesus did at the cross for forgiveness of your sin, you put faith in what Jesus did at the cross that he bore your grief so that you could have healing from your grief. That some tragedy that you faced in your life doesn't have to dictate and rule your life because God can bring healing to it the same way that no sin in your life has to dictate and rule your life. Grief was never nailed to the cross with Jesus so that healing could be brought to you. And grief is not just the lost loved one. Grief can be a, a, a marriage that ended in divorce that didn't work out the way. Grief could be a childhood that 
You wish you would have had a relationship with your father or your mother. You wish you would have even had a childhood, but you didn't have a childhood because you didn't have any money and you had to work constantly. And so you didn't get to go play while all the other kids were playing. You were working because you were having to to help feed the family and all of those things. Grief can show up in a lot of different ways. Grief is just an acknowledgement of some type of loss that you had. And sometimes we get stuck in a point of grief. Some of it may be from a church hurt or church wound or something like that that may have happened. But whatever grief or sorrow the enemy tries to place upon your heart, you need to realize that Jesus took that grief and sorrow to the cross with him so that he could bring healing to your heart today. Jesus loves us in our most unlovable point. Jesus loves us in our most helpless place that sometimes we find ourselves. There's no life that is too broken for Jesus to come in and bring healing to it. And Jesus puts us in sermons and places like this as a way of pursuing our hearts to say, hey, I've got more healing that I can do in your life. The cross was far greater than just for forgiveness of your sin. The cross was even for rejection that you faced. Isaiah 53 said that he was despised and he was rejected by men. All of that rejection, all of that went to the cross with him. Jesus felt for the first time on the cross, what it means to be separated from God. In Mark chapter 15, you see the moment where Jesus felt separation from God. Because in, in John 17, Jesus prayed over the church, he, over the disciples. He said, I pray that you will be one as me and the Father and the Spirit are one. I pray that you have that perfect unity the way that we do. But then when it came to the cross, there was a moment where Jesus felt forsaken by God. It says in the ninth hour, he cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means this. It means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, when you look at this throughout scripture, the majority of the time when God was, when, when Jesus was referring to, to God that is in heaven, God the Father, the majority of times when you see, almost every time you see, he refers to God as my Father. But even in this moment, he didn't feel like a son anymore because now there was a separation because all the sin that should have been our price to pay, all of our sin, every time that you lied, every time that you gossiped, every time that you looked at pornography, every time that you shot up drugs, every time that, that, that you did those things was all placed upon him. And that distance that when you're in sin that you feel from God, Jesus felt all of that distance. And now he's not even saying, my father, my father, he's, my God, my God, why have you left me? You've forsaken me. He knows exactly what it feels to feel far from God. And yet in that moment, Jesus had the power to call down angels to pull him off of the cross. But yet he stayed there because he knew this was a greater purpose. He knew that he had a price to pay because our, if he comes off of the cross, then the plan doesn't work and the price isn't paid and we still have to pay the price for our sin. 
And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God and the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What we deserved was death and eternity apart from God. But what he paid the price for was life and an eternity with God. And when you look at that, two words just doesn't seem enough for the love that was demonstrated to us. Like, thank you. You saved, you saved me from hell, thank you. Appreciate it. You want me to write it on a note for you? Thank you, Carl. It seems completely unfitting for the love that was demonstrated to us, for the investment that he made in us. And so there's a decision that we have to make as a Christian. Are we going to be like one of the nine lepers who just get healed and kind of go on? Or are we going to be like the one leper who recognized, I need to go back to the feet of Jesus. I need to, I need to go thank him. And one of the things that God really spoke to me through this is that, that, that the love that was demonstrated to us, the Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. And, and so there's this thing of, okay, I've been given so much, so, what, what, and so much forgiveness and love and mercy, that then I don't want to just sit there and, and just say thank you and just worship him with the song that I sing, but I want to worship him with the life that I live, and I want to show him that I truly love him. And I don't want to just give lip service to love. Because there's a lot of places in the Bible where it says, yeah, their lips are toward me, but their heart's far from me. So I don't even care about their songs. I don't want to hear their songs. In fact, just tell them to stop singing their songs. Because their heart isn't in it. It's not there. It's kind of like a child when you say, hey, say you're sorry. And you're like, I'm sorry. You know that was not a heartfelt, sorrowful, contrite, I'm sorry. But how many of us have said, we love you, God, but we're going to continue to do what we want to do? And see, John 15, 13 says, greater love has no man than this, than for someone to lay down his life for his friends. Now, Jesus is telling them about what he's getting ready to do, but he is also establishing what true love looks like. That the highest form of love is a selfless love that lays down your life for others. And so I have made up in my mind that I don't want to be like one of the nine lepers who got their life back, who got all the blessings and everything restored to them and, and didn't even come back to say thank you. I want to lead a church and I want to be a part of a church that has a realization that God has demonstrated so much love toward us. The greatest love that I can offer back to him is for me to lay down my life for him. Paul talks about it this way, that you need to live a life that is worthy of the price that he paid. In, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increase in the knowledge of God. And so Paul says, listen, salvation and forgiveness of your sin is just a starting point. Now you need to walk this thing out. 
you need to understand this. There's, there's some fruit that you need to bear in your life. You need to increase in the knowledge of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul put it, and this is the amplified version, so that parentheses is kind of an explanation. It kind of expounds some of the words there and what that word really means. It says, you were bought with a price. And then in parentheses, it tells exactly the price that we were paid with. You were actually purchased with the precious blood of Jesus, and you were made his own. It wasn't, it wasn't a cheap price. You weren't a cheap date. You cost everything. All of his blood was poured out at the cross. His life completely taken from him. And so because you were bought with that price, he says, so then now you need to glorify and you need to honor God with your body. Notice, Paul didn't say honor God with your words. There's a lot of people who honor God with their words. But what Paul asked for is a different level of honor. I want you to realize that your life was bought with the life of my son, with, of God's son. It was paid a high price. And so the only thing that really is a thank you back is to answer what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. And that's how you find the life. You know, this past weekend, we always have crazy stuff that happens on Easter. And there's always some type of like sickness or, you know, just craziness. And this year was no different. I get a call Thursday night from Pastor Sadie, one of our youth pastors. Hey, can somebody, can one of you guys, would one of y'all go to the hospital with me and Josiah? Josiah cut his finger. And so I just told Melanie, I was like, hey, Josiah cut his finger. Do you want to, they're asking if we can run over to the hospital with him real quick. You, you want to go? You want me to go? I'm thinking he just needs some stitches. But Sadie left a very important word off of that sentence. What she should have said was, Josiah cut his finger off. That changes the meaning of the sentence quite a bit. <laughs> like, not a little cut. Like, his finger still stuck. Had to go get it and take it up to the hospital to see if it could be reattached and all that. But it was unable to be attached. And so Friday, he has surgery. He's, he's got his hand up so it doesn't kill him there. To complete to finish the amputation of that finger. And then Saturday, we had services last night. We, he's like, I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm leading worship. Josiah, look, that's going to hurt. Blood flow. You know, try to explain all the, 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 the uh, health aspect of it and stuff. Risks. I'm playing. So he comes in, and before anybody else is here, when everybody else shows up, he's sitting up here tuning his guitar, ready to go. 
Why? Because even though the devil attacked, he wasn't going to let the devil attack to keep him from glorifying God with this body. He understood the high price. Like, anybody medically, we tried to talk him out of it. We did. So don't, that's irresponsible. But when somebody realizes, you know what? And, and that's when they said, he kept saying he wanted to play. I was like, I probably would do the same thing. Because in my mindset, I would want to make the devil pay. You think you're going to stop me, devil? Uh-uh. I'm digging in. And that's what the church needs to get is a little bit of understanding. That we, we start bumping up against the wall and we want to back off. But we need to stop backing off from the wall. We need to understand the price that Jesus paid. And we need to show him the love and demonstrate with our life that we are grateful for the cross. And if it costs me something, if I have to go through a little bit of something in order order to fulfill what you want me to do, then I will pay the price because I realize that if I lay down my life, the same way that Jesus laying down his life led to all of our salvation, sometimes when we lay down our life, it can lead to the salvation of others. And so as Josiah came and helped lead worship last night, there were people who were being saved at this altar because of his part that he played in the service. Lives were changed. Eternities changed. Because somebody said, I am not letting a little thing like having my finger cut off (laughs) keep me from showing my love to my God. And that is the highest thank you that we can give our God. No matter what the enemy hits me with, my life is not my own. It's God's. And I owe it all to him because he gave it all for me. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.